0: Verses 12 through 14 this morning, and this is Jesus speaking. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. If you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 14. We're going to camp out in Luke chapter 14 today. We're going to look at a couple of different passages, but that will be our primary passage this morning. Luke chapter 14, that's in the New Testament. One of the Gospels, the story of Jesus. Well, have you gotten all your Christmas shopping done? All done? All finished? I think if you're buying online, it might be too late. I don't know. You may have to actually go to a store now. You know, every family has a unique rule or way or approach to giving and receiving these gifts, right? Your family probably does it a little bit different than the family sitting next to you. We all have different ways of doing gifts at Christmas time. And there are some unwritten rules, right? And maybe some of your families actually write them down, but for most of us there's there's unwritten rules about how we do gifts and when we do gifts and how much we spend on gifts. Some families everyone buys for everyone. Some families everyone buys for whoever they like. <laughs> some families draw names. Some families play the little game, the dirty Santa or the white elephant gifts, and they do the exchange and steal gifts, and some families buy gifts for the kids and draw names for the adults or don't get gifts for the adults. Some families may not do gifts at all, I suspect. Some families do gifts Christmas Eve. Some families do gifts Christmas morning. Some families do whenever they do gifts, whenever they can, right? Whenever you can work it in. We all have different ways of doing gifts, and there are unwritten rules about what is acceptable and what is expected. And everyone in that family and everyone in that group is supposed to conform to those unwritten rules and expectations. And of course, those come from traditions in the family and certain rituals in the family that are passed down. Also, it's just circumstances for the family or for members of the family. What's happened? What's going on? And do we need to make some changes this year? And has this worked? And And so there are a lot of different variables there, but every family kind of has its own way of doing gifts, those unwritten rules. Well, I have a gift here, and I'm going to give it away. But there are some rules with this gift. I'm going to give this gift to someone, and one of the rules is that person must tell me thank you. He or she must tell me thank you. The second rule for this gift this morning is that they can't open this gift. They can't open it until I say they can open it. Which leads to the third rule, and that is this. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask for the gift back. Unopened. So those are my rules for this gift. Say thank you, don't open it, and at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask for it back. And so now I'm going to give the gift. Luke, you're just sitting there. i got to give it to you, right? So what are the rules? What do you got to do? Thank you. He said, thank you. I'm not sure it was sincere. It looked pretty sincere. <laughs> I think he's more nervous than anything else right now. So, all right, now remember the second rule. You can't do what? You can't open it. And then the third rule, what? Give it back, give it back when I ask for it. That's right. Man, what kind of gift is that, Right? There are unwritten rules with that gift. There are unwritten rules with all the gifts we give, aren't there? Not just at Christmas time. In fact, at Christmas time, it makes sense that we have some of those rules and traditions, right? Everybody stays on the same page. We cut down on chaos and the potential for hurt feelings. So it's nice that we have those expectations and those guidelines. But as I said, Christmas isn't the only time that we give, at least hopefully. But haven't we established rules for giving in life? Haven't we established unwritten rules for our own generosity? You see these on the screen. The first rule is the great value rule, and that is that if I give you something, you are obligated to value it. Because it came from me, you must... Sense and, and see great value in that gift or in, in that thing that I'm doing for you, in that act of kindness. You must really value it, and I need to know that you value it because that will make me feel good about giving you that gift or, or doing that nice thing for you. And so the great value rule, and of course, that leads to the acknowledgement principle. Not only do you need to value something that I do for you, but you need to acknowledge it. You need to say thank you You need to go on and on about how great the gift is or how nice I am, how kind and generous I am. We have that rule, don't we? It's not written down anywhere, but we expect that. If I do something for you, I want to be acknowledged. I want to be thanked. We have the rule of reciprocity. You know what that is. If I give something to you, I kind of expect you to give something back to me. If I do something nice for you, I expect you to do something nice for me. And we have this give and take. If I take you to lunch, I expect you to take me to lunch. And then we have the conditions rule. And that means that before I can do something nice for you, before I can give you something, you have to do certain things. You have to qualify for my act of kindness. To be a recipient of my generosity, you have to do certain things in certain ways Or another form of this rule is when I do something for you if I give you something then I get to dictate the terms of that gift in other words I get to tell you how to use it what to do with it and you can see how we give and act in our own generosity according to these unwritten rules we act this way don't we even in the church we act this way And again I think sometimes when it comes to uh, life there's probably a place and a time for some of these principles. We want to be good stewards. We want to be responsible. And so there probably is a context for some of these things. But this morning I really want all of us to just take a look at our hearts because isn't that what giving is about? That's what scripture tells us. It's really about the heart. So this morning, let's take a close look at our heart and ask ourselves this question. Is your generosity, does it have strings attached to it? Are there strings attached to your generosity? In other words, is your kindness connected to conditions? Do you only follow those rules or maybe rules that you have made up yourself about giving? I only give to certain people. I only express kindness if they deserve it or only do something nice for someone if I get to tell them what they do with that or how they respond to that when you take an honest look at your heart when you take an honest look at how you express kindness to others how you give are there strings attached to your generosity do you give conditionally when Jesus sent out his 12 apostles to what we call the limited, condition, or limited commission when he went to the lost sheep of Israel. He gave them a lot of instructions. But the foundational instruction really was this. We read it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. He said, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. As you go out into the world and you make this appeal to the Jewish people about who Jesus is, He said, don't take a lot with you. You will receive freely, but you should also give freely. Think about that principle for life. Freely you have received, freely give. What would it look like to truly give freely? I'm not saying don't be responsible. I'm not saying don't be a good steward of God's resources in your life. I'm just asking, how would your world... How would the world be different if you genuinely, truly gave freely? If you cut some of the strings connected to your generosity and your kindness? What would your family look like? What would the church look like? What would your workplace look like? Just imagine what the world might look like. Someone says, well, it'd be, it'd be anarchy, it'd be utter chaos. Right, because people would be taking advantage of each other all the time. And so what do we do? We make rules. We make rules to keep that from happening. But not only to keep that from happening, we make rules that make us feel better about being generous, about giving gifts. But what if we allowed God to change the rules? What if we allowed God to begin to dismantle the system that we used that we used for being generous and I'm not talking about Christmas gifts here Jesus was really good about dismantling social structures wasn't he Jesus was really good about about turning people's expectations upside down about defying social norms and mainly when those social norms were anchored into the values of the world rather than in the kingdom of God Jesus was great at turning things upside down and so this morning we're going to look at an example in Luke chapter 14 of Jesus challenging the unwritten rules of life and included in that is generosity Luke chapter 14 verse 1 One Sabbath, remember that, it's on the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Jesus finds himself in the home of a respected religious leader, and the text tells us that people are watching him. Why do you think they're watching him? Given the context, given the crowd, it's probably because they are waiting for him to mess up. He has made a splash, he has followers, he's saying things they haven't heard before, he seems to be speaking with authority, but he is doing things differently. He is not meeting their expectations, he is not necessarily acting out the social norms that they have established, and so they're watching him, waiting for him to mess up, I think. What they don't know is that Jesus is also watching them, he is observing them. And Jesus transforms this entire dinner scene into a classroom. Teachable moment after teachable moment. The first one is a lesson on legalism, especially prideful legalism. There's a man there that has some kind of physical ailment, and Jesus does what he often did. He heals this man, and he sends him on his way. But you remember, what day was it? Remember in the text? It was the Sabbath. And Jesus healing this man might constitute work in the eyes of those legalists. You can't work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus sends this man on his way, and then he asks them a question. Is it wrong to heal this man on the Sabbath? They don't say a word. They don't know how to answer. First of all, they're trying to get their minds around the fact that Jesus just healed this man. And Jesus leans into this question a little bit more. He says, well, what about you? If your if kid, if your prized ox fell into a well on the Sabbath, would you not do all that you could do to get them out? Again, crickets, silence, no response. And then as he observes them gather around the table, he again challenges the established social structure. You see, typically during this day, In a dinner like this, people would sit around a table that was arranged in a U-shape, much like this. There was a Roman table or a Roman custom that many of the Jews in the first century sort of borrowed. And there was this U-shaped table, and so at the base of the U would be the host for the dinner party or for the banquet And then as the seats went around and up the U, the seats, the places of prominence went from more important to less important as you went around the U. Do you remember when James and John asked Jesus, can we sit at your what? Your right and your left. And maybe they're picturing a scene like this with Jesus at the base of the U and they want those two seats right next to Jesus, those places of prominence, of importance. And what does Jesus say as he observes them sitting down? He tells them to resist the instinct to just plop down in the seats of honor. He says, You may get bumped for someone who is more important according to human standards. So go ahead and, and take the least important seat, he says. Go ahead and sit in that folding chair at the card table in the other room and eat from the paper plate he says because who knows someone might come get you and upgrade you to the big table you may get bumped up to first class but don't just enter a room and assume you're one of the most important people in the room jesus says in essence what he's saying is honor is to be given not to be taken Honor is to be given, not to be taken. And then he gives this overriding principle, this new rule to replace the existing unwritten rules that they had about life, about interaction, including generosity. We read it in verse 11 of Luke chapter 14. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted this great eternal truth becomes the foundational basis for each of these teachable moments that Jesus has in this context it is the main lesson exalting self is not the way of Jesus exalting self will get you humbled he says when other people are humbling you that's not a pleasant place to be He says, when you exalt yourself, be ready because others will humble you. He says, but you, you humble yourself and ultimately God will exalt you. You see how he just turns common knowledge and common wisdom on its head. We're playing with a different set of rules here and it's not a game. It's life. And life in the kingdom of God is not like life according to the values of the world. And it's from this foundational truth that Jesus then addresses this notion of generosity. We continue reading in verse 12. When Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, using this object lesson of the dinner table, Jesus says, Don't just invite people who have something to give back to you. Do you see what he said in verse 17? They will repay you. Instead, invite those who have nothing to offer. You can't expect anything in return from them the poor, the lame, those in need those who cannot repay you. Now, there are several different levels of understanding, I think, here. There's several different things going on in this story and with this teaching of Jesus. And one, I think, is the Jew-Gentile dynamic. I think one of the things that, that underlines this story is this notion that Jews know they have a place at the table, and in their minds, it is the place of honor. But Jesus is breaking in this kingdom of inclusion that says Gentiles also have a place at the table. They're not just outside on their own, they are part of the banquet feast. And that was hard for many of the Jewish people to accept. So you have that layer or that level. But I think also this is a description of Jesus's life and his ministry. It's exactly what he did, right? He invited the poor and the lame Jesus spent time with the marginalized and the mistreated. Jesus was there for those who were hurting. When he was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners, he says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus practiced what he preached Jesus was there for those who had nothing to offer. And Jesus didn't, didn't hold his, his generosity over their heads. He didn't say, well, I will heal you or I'll do something for you, but first you've got to do this, 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 and this. He simply gave freely. He simply loved with no strings attached. And so we see that One of the layers, I think, of what is happening in the story is it's a description of how Jesus lived his life and how he did ministry. But it's not just that. It's not just an allusion to the Jew-Gentile dynamic of this kingdom of inclusion that Jesus is unleashing in the world. This is an invitation, a calling. This is an appeal to all of us to change the rules, to operate by a different standard, to upend the social system that is behind giving that says it's about me. Aren't those what most of our rules are about when it comes to generosity? In his teaching, we sometimes call the Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, but Sermon on the Plain is in Luke chapter 6, and Jesus, like in the Sermon on the Mount, reveals the heart behind these issues and here's what he says on this topic Luke chapter 6 verse 32 I want you to hear it in Jesus's own words he says if you love those who love you what credit is that to you even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who are good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do that and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment what credit is that to you even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus holds up this image of God, the heart of God, which Jesus manifests in the flesh and he says look how god treats the wicked look how god gives to the unworthy including us give like god have a heart like jesus has and jesus takes the world's wisdom and he just flips it over he says the system and the rules we have for giving they must be reevaluated you see, there are very different ways to approach generosity. There are very different ways to approach giving. On one hand, there is conditional giving where we have these unwritten rules. You see, conditional giving is me focused, it's giver centric. I want to be thanked, I want to be recognized, I want you to know that I am doing something for you. It's also contractual. It's a transaction, right? I'm expecting something in return. If I do something for you, I expect you to do something back. And if you don't do something back, well, you better forget about me doing something nice for you again. You see how it's still me-focused? And it reinforces the power structures. As long as the giver is dictating the terms of the gift, as long as the giver insists on being recognized you see there's a power structure that he or she is maintaining as the giver I am above you I am giving down to you but what about free giving what does it look like free giving is you focused it's not giver centric it's recipient centric it's about what you need it's about how you can be helped there's also no strings attached to free giving. You don't have to qualify. The giver does not dictate the terms of the gift. It's yours to do whatever you want with it. And then rather than reinforcing power structures, it empowers the recipient. It empowers the other person. It doesn't say, I'm giving down to you. It gives power to that person You see the difference? Someone says, no, wait a second. If we're not supposed to expect anything in return when we give, why does the Bible talk so much about when you give, it will be given back to you? It's a good question. And there certainly are scriptures that reinforce that truth. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about this principle of, of reaping what you sow. And in verse 10, as he talks about generosity, he says, your storehouses will increase and your harvest will enlarge. Jesus himself in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I've heard fans of the prosperity gospel use verses like this as a framework for giving. In fact, they call it giving for return. And so verses like this that say you will be given back to, they become the motivation for giving. And they will say things like, give a dollar and God will give you $100 in return. And see, the motivation then becomes I can get more if I give more. But if I am giving to get, that is still me focused. It is still all about me. And nothing in the life and in the teachings and certainly in the death of Jesus says that's how we are to live life, with me as the focus. Do you remember what he said earlier? that foundational truth that we said all those teachable moments build upon? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves, God will exalt. If I am giving just to get, then I am at the center of that rather than God. And so rather than being the motivation to give, maybe some of these scriptures are simply descriptions of what can happen when we begin to unclench our fists and let go of the things of this world. Maybe it's a picture of God's economy in his kingdom. Scripture tells us that God will repay those who give. He will repay generosity. And maybe even in your own life, you can bear witness to the fact that that God has been abundantly outpouring with his blessings you have tried to give and God just keeps giving it back to you and that's wonderful what a testimony but I want you to look at our text because I think the two main texts we're looking at today in Luke describe a different type of return of blessing Luke 14 verse 14 you will be blessed although they cannot repay you talking about those you invite They cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And in Luke 6, Jesus says, when you give unconditionally, when you have generosity with no strings attached, God will reward you. And I think that reward isn't so much about what we get here as much as it is treasures in heaven. And maybe when we begin to give that way, with no strings attached, we we begin to reflect the heart of God that gives freely. Maybe heaven and earth get a little closer. And maybe even they collide in some sense and we begin to feel and get a glimpse of heaven and the blessings that are returned upon us that ultimately God will reward us with. So here's the bottom line. Give Freely. No caveats, no conditions, no credit. Give freely. All right, we're here at the end of the sermon. Luke, wake up and give me the present back. <laughs> now he's awake. All right, so did you enjoy the present? I didn't know what it was, he said. He couldn't really enjoy the present, right? Because he couldn't open it. Why couldn't he open it? Because I had rules with the present. Remember the first rule, you have to say thank you. And he did. Second rule, I said, "Don't open it, and he didn't. Third rule was, give it back at the end of the sermon when I asked for it. And here I have it. That is conditional giving, isn't it? That is giving with a set of unwritten rules that, by the way, who made I made those rules. They're about me. There are strings attached. It's literally like strings are attached to this and I'm pulling it back to me. I'm controlling it. And so much about our unwritten rules in generosity is about control and power and selfishness. So let's try this again. I'm going to freely give you this gift, all right? And what if I tell you, there you go. What if I tell you that it's not even from me? It's from someone anonymous. So there's really no thanks that go to me. I'm simply the messenger. And the anonymous person said, you can do whatever you want to do with that gift. You can open it whenever you want to. You can keep it, you can give it away. You can do whatever you want. They won't know, they don't care. It's yours to do whatever you want to with it. No caveats, no conditions, no credit. You see, that's free giving. That's giving freely. Now, for the rest of us, sorry, I don't have a gift for you. I'm not Oprah. <laughs> but I do have, for all of us, a challenge. And the challenge is this. To begin to rewrite the rules for giving. To begin to up in the structures that we operate in that control our generosity. The challenge specifically is this. This week and in weeks to come, do something for someone just because God loves them. Don't set it up so that you're going to get credit. Don't set it up so they'll repay you. Do something for someone just because God loves them. That's the challenge. Begin to evaluate Not only when you give, how you give, but the heart behind your generosity. And maybe there are times when the rules do need to be changed. Give freely. You need to know that God gives freely to you, to me. God sent his son, Jesus, to us. We were not and are not worthy. We didn't qualify for that wonderful gift of grace and forgiveness and salvation. We couldn't. We can't. It was freely given to us. And all he asks is that we receive it, that we accept it in faith. Have you done that? You see, that's the definition of grace unmerited goodness and favor. That's what God has given us. You have a choice. You don't have to accept God's grace. You can refuse it. You can reject it. You don't have to receive that gift and open it up. But God sure wants you to. And God did so much so that you could have so much. It's a free gift. Will you receive it? Will you accept it? Maybe today you're ready to do that. To simply confess, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to respond. I'm going to accept the gift he's given me. You're going to start a new life as you're baptized into Christ and raised by God to live a new life. Maybe today is the day for you. If we can help you with that, if we can encourage you, let us do that. If we can pray for you, we'd love to surround you in prayer and support. In just a minute, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor room right behind us. You can go there, out any of these doors. They'll encourage you. They'll pray for you. They'll hold you in confidence and support. Or you can come down to the front, and we're happy to help you as well. There's something we can do today to encourage you to receive and accept the free gift from God. Let us do that. Let's stand and sing.